everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. We have Scott Dyer with Rami Emptum Ruminations. How are you, Scott? Hey, Landon. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, we've been wanting to have you on for quite a while. It took me a while to learn how to pronounce the name of your amazing <laughs> podcast. So I had to work on that very hard. So I did not stutter on the air. But I no, appreciate we are it. Absolutely you got it. Yeah, no, we are thrilled. Rami Emptum Ruminations is just a, I'll say right up front, if any of our viewers or listeners have not tuned into this, you will not be disappointed. This is a wonderful podcast and we'll get into this more as we talk to Scott. So let's start out. I think Landon has the bio as we usually do. Let's read Scott's bio really quick and then just dive right in. Okay. Scott is a guy with a microphone and way too much to say about a church that he left years ago. He's the host of Rami Umpton Ruminations podcast under the umbrella of the Mormon Discussions podcast brand. Living in a mixed faith marriage influences the tone of his podcast. He strives to publish content that is true to the data and his own feelings while creating an approachable space to both the newly doubting and the nuanced believer. And I believe he's also a great cook and makes great cakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in fact, uh, pull up, we do have a slide. I will have oh, to tell you, oh. we had a little pre-meeting with Scott, <laughs> and we were chatting, and he was mentioning, all right, see you guys later. I'm off to make my daughter's birthday cake. And I said, oh, cake? You know, any mention of cake? I said, you have to send us a picture. So a day later, this shows up in our inbox, and we're just like, is there yep. nothing this man cannot do? He's an amazing podcaster, I... <laughs> an amazing person. And look at this cake, everybody. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a six-tier rainbow cake with vanilla sponge, uh, which I made everything by scratch. I also made the buttercream frosting, and it was a <laughs> uh, coconut buttercream frosting. And it was, it was perfect. It turned out so good. And oh, my little my three-year-old loved it. So, and so did I. You know, and part of it's that... making for me because I, I enjoy this stuff. That is just incredible. Now we're having a Mormonish culinary moment, everyone, if you're just joining us. but and so my, you my arteries are hardening just uh, I know that's what picture. I feel like. I'm like it was a big so cake. And since yeah. it was so tall, all you needed was just like a, a real thin slice. I'm trying to count one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's incredible. And you made everything from scratch. everything that's from just, scratch. That's I had just to do amazing. it over a over the course of uh, three or four days. um and then I was freezing the sponges um. You know, I'd make a couple of sponges and then freeze them and then make a couple more the next day and then freeze them and then just assemble them all the day of her birthday. Oh, is your daughter just thrilled? Like my daddy made me a cake. <laughs> like that is amazing. Seriously. Yes. Uh, anytime they see sweets, all of my children are like, that's what you need to make me for my birthday. <laughs> so they know, they know that oh, you yeah. have many passions oh, yeah. and many talents. And oh, I just think that's the cutest thing hobbies. ever. I, I have I'm too many hobbies. I'm going to make hobbies. her wedding cake. That's uh <laughs> In the future, <laughs> you know that that would be a challenge. That that actually would be fun. You might have to start planning now. That's right. I true. bet you could do it. There's a number this of years true. to go. But oh, and I bet your wife thinks it's so fun. You know, because that's yeah. always the big stress, right? Usually the mom mm -hmm. is the one. Oh my gosh, the cake. Do I make it? Do I buy it? But in yep. this case, it's handled. That's perfect. Yeah. And and my wife is an excellent cook in her own right. So I'm sure. I'm, we're we're a great team when that comes. Oh, that is awesome. Well, we've seen cake, everybody. <laughs> now let's get and I have to admit that did make me kind of we may have to get some cake later today, Landon. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I never pass on cake. You yeah. know how you get that fixed that in your you mind. Like, I can't see. think of anything. <laughs> That's a oh, man no. who's never passed on cake. That's right. <laughs> we don't ever reveal the lower half of the camera That's to our right. viewers, right? We hey, I rarely show my face to my viewers. To, I know. Oh, is that true? Now that's yeah. going to be interesting then. Oh, this is the big reveal of Scott. This is there awesome. Have, so I've done three episodes that have shown my face. So this will be really? the fourth. This will be the fourth. This will be so, the fourth. Yeah, well, you, you are You don't look like here. a Rami Umpton. I got I to gotta say. <laughs> what would that look like, do you think, Landon? A I'm big, not... <laughs> you know, pedestal. I was expecting maybe a pharaoh looking, you know, someone who looks like pharaoh or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Too funny. Oh my gosh. Well, we will get into all that, how we named the podcast and all of that. But first, I think our viewers would just be curious. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about you growing up um, and how you kind of found yourself where you are right now? We would love to hear more about that as we just have a conversation. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure how much you want me to go into this, but uh, I'm born and raised in the LDS church. I am from the Pacific Northwest and uh, just outside of Portland in the Portland metropolitan area. Um, I... 
I am five of six in my family and in my entire extended family, everybody is part of the church. And that's even the case today. I've actually got, there's, there's only, I think two cousins that I know of on my one side that have left and maybe three on the other side that have left the LDS church. So most of my family is still in and practicing and both the extended family as well. Um, so I'm kind of the outlier in my own immediate, um, familial group. Uh, anyway, so born and raised LDS church, just a kind of a, a typical upbringing, um, you know, learning all the things, doing all the scouts and the weekly activities. Um, I, through much of my childhood, a lot of my mental struggles were undiagnosed. I've talked a little bit about on my podcast, I have struggled with depression for a number of years. Um, as a kid, undiagnosed ADHD, I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. And all the baggage that comes along with depression and ADHD and not really understanding why my brain is functioning differently than everybody around me. Anyway, um, all of that on its own is a big struggle, but then compounding that with an unhealthy internalization of the repentance process made, um, made you know, it was a really bad combination for me. So I, I really struggled with my mental health as a practicing Mormon, both in my teenage years and in my 20s. So I was I was a member of the church believing and active for the majority of my 20s. I started deconstructing slowly over those years, but really it accelerated when I turned 30. And uh, that led me to where I am today. I, I mean, feel free to ask any questions yeah. or, or dig I into anything that I've said. You, but... said, you said you had, had depression, uh, that you unhealthy internalization of the repentance process. Uh, I know uh, Rebecca just did a podcast on the shiny happy people episode. Yeah, and and I watched that. She she had me watch that, and I I was uh, interested to see that uh, when they go to their therapist, their therapist would right away say, "You're showing the signs of somebody who was in a high demand religion." Mm. Um, is is that the way you saw things? Did you see things like, "Oh, it was it's this high demand religion, this pursuit of excellence," or can you go into yeah. a little bit more what what that uh, depression? Because I think a lot of people experience that um, mm -hmm. in in the uh, post pre-post-Mormon world. <laughs> yeah. So the way that I had internalized um, the repentance process, um, whenever I would, whenever something bad would happen, I would automatically assume it was because there was something that I was doing wrong. So an argument with my wife, oh no, what did I do wrong? You know, if something bad happens at work. Oh no, what do I need to repent for to make sure that everything in my life is, is perfect. Um, and so I had internalized it in such a way that I, if I wanted to be happy, then I needed to make sure that I was 100% perfect because I, I had associated in my head this, um, basically that if something went wrong, it was my fault, not that things could happen outside of my control. And I, I know that's totally wrong. And I've done a lot of healing since, but uh, as an active believing member, oops, I bumped my desk. Um, as, as a believing member, that's how I, I kind of internalized this repentance process where um, if I wanted to have perfect peace and, you know, harmony and everything, I needed to always be repenting of something. And so it, it was really unhealthy and it led to really um, self-deprecating um, thought patterns and um, really intense depression. I'm kind of, I, I use humor as a uh, defense mechanism. So if I make a joke, that's because I'm, I'm um, hurting on the inside as I'm talking about this. Um, did, did you yeah. go on a mission and did that play into this? Were you, I mean, a lot of times yeah. my, my mission, it was very difficult. You never had success and you felt like, is this, a, am I not having, you know, you never thought, Oh, well, it's because it's, it's, a, a weird doctrine or that nobody wants to hear it is I'm not doing so what I'm secular. supposed to be doing. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. I'd be having baptisms. And then you start feeling bad about yourself. Did, did, did that play into it? And did that add to it or take away from it? And, and where did you serve? If you did? Yeah. So I served it from 2000, 2006 to 2008 in Chile. So Chile Concepcion Sur. So I was in like the Southern, like um, Southern third of the country. It's a long, narrow country, you know, narrow, narrow stretch of land. Um, the, uh, the way I had internalized it, um, I had a lot of success. So let me, let me preface this with, it was almost the opposite, but had the same effect. So 
I had these same sort of patterns. I was pushing myself to be as righteous as possible, follow all the rules as strictly as I could. And I baptized a lot of people, like a way, way more people than anybody else in my family. And it, uh, to me that, um, like made this concept more concrete in my mind that if I try to be as exact and obedient as possible, then I will be blessed. Um, I think there were only two weeks of my whole mission where I didn't baptize somebody. Like I had a baptism almost every week and there were, there was a while where it was like multiple baptisms a week. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. You're a legend. I'm guessing people are probably still talking about you. Oh, in I the doubt field. that. I doubt that. <laughs> Elder Remy Upton, they're probably no, holding I... you up against other missionaries and say, he was able to do it decades ago. Why not you, right? <laughs> well, it was in my mission. We did have a lot of success. There were people that I was like average, if you will. Like I was in like the oh, middle wow. of the pack. So we we had a lot of baptisms. Um, yeah. So the, it... It served the same, as you said, Landon, like it, uh, it made this idea more concrete in my mind where this connection between um, like an unhealthy perfectionism um, to my faith. And uh, yeah, it just kind of made that idea more, more firm in my mind. So, yeah, I think that's very common though. And the idea that Nothing is just a random occurrence. It just happened to happen and you deal with it. No, there's some part of it, a large part of it that you are responsible for. And, Mm -hmm. And I think as we get on the other side of it, we find that is so incredibly unhealthy, especially in children, because what you're describing to me is a very young child understanding that, you know, something went wrong me what did i do i'm broken i'm the problem that leads to like you said depression scrupulosity where people are you know and Mm -hmm. always second guessing your own intuition don't you find sort of like you're okay i'm i'm i think something but is that the holy ghost is that say did you have those kinds of feelings we (laughs) talked to a lot of people where they're it's never just oh i had a random thought it's there for a reason everything has such a heightened purpose did you ever feel that where you your own intuition was just gone because it's god talking to you or Satan or (laughs) crazy. I never, that was something that maybe, maybe when I was younger, I had a more firm idea of that, but I, as a believer, I never found a good answer for when Satan can speak into your mind or when God can speak into your mind and how to distinguish between the two. Um, There's nothing really concrete. So that was something that I never really had a good grasp on. And so I just, took ownership of it all. Aren't, aren't you supposed yeah. to ask to shake their hand or something like that's that? True. That's, that's true. That's true. No, yeah, and if I, and talking I'm talking about you. maybe like the Holy Ghost, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like a lot of people are like, I'm not going to make a move. I had a roommate in college like that, like literally not a move. Oh, the Holy Ghost told me I should not go to class today. I don't know why something's <laughs> going to happen, but I'm like, well, isn't that convenient? You know, but I mean, you're probably going to fail. That's what's going to happen. Exactly. If but it goes along yeah. with that scrupulosity, you know, where you just, you're never yourself. It's your fault or there's some yep. other signals coming into you and you can never be authentic or even live your own life. Basically. You don't see that I yeah. think, until you're on but the other side Scott, of it. Scott, You so. said you saw a lot of miracles on your mission or you participated in a lot yeah. of that. Uh, how did that play into your mindset? So at this point in my life, I am very faithful, fully in 100% believing. And I, um, I was a part of, you know, casting out spirits and, and healings. And there was even, there was even, um, a number of elders in my mission that would call me the prophet dire. So instead of elder dire, they'd call me the prophet dire. Cause it seemed like these things were just following me. And, um, there was, there was, um, healings, you know, people that were sick, you know, you put your hand on them and they're like suddenly better, that sort of thing. Um, uh, there was a time where the buses were down and a whole group of us had to like walk across this town to get to this appointment. And it was just pouring rain and everybody was complaining. And I'm like, guys, why don't we just like command the rains to stop and then just keep going. And everyone was like, that doesn't work. And I'm like, well, Let's try it out. And I did, you know, hand to the square. I'm like, all right, let's see if our priesthood even works. And then like within minutes, the rain stopped and everybody like looked at me like, what in what on earth is happening? And we just walked. (laughs) And as soon as we got to where we were going, the rain started again. Like it was it was like for me at the time, it was a very uh, spiritual, like motivating experience. 
But then I would also, so that was like the first half of my mission. Everything's like was more positive, but then the second half, they didn't always work out. Um, oh, there was another one that, that, uh, that was cool too. That was like a positive um, experience. The, uh, we had this baptism and the power was out in the church building and the water was off and it was my last week in the area. And it was this woman that I had been teaching for the whole, like three months that I was there and she was finally getting baptized. And, uh, the lights were out. There was no water. And everyone was like, well, I guess we'll have to reschedule it for next week. And I'm like, no, this is happening now. And so I, I knelt down and I'm like, all right, God, I can figure out the water if you can figure out the lights. And as soon as I finished the prayer, the lights in the chapel turned on. And I was like, all right, I guess I got to figure out the water. So I called the fire department and I had the fire department. I was like, hey, are you guys busy? Can you help me out? And they came in. Her daughter was a, a firefighter. So that was kind of how I had the connection there. I was like, hey, can you fill the chapel? We're trying to baptize your mom. And so they they brought in a fire truck and filled the font. And that's how we baptized her. The water was disgusting, but you know, oh, we made God. it work. <laughs> anyway, so I had a lot of like actu oh, actual. She was like, baptized by water and fire. And fire <laughs> department. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I had a lot of experiences like that on like the first half of my mission. The second half, they didn't always work out. And it it really caused some doubt in my mind on the efficacy of miracles and the priesthood. Um, I One of my companions had an ingrown toenail and um, he was unable to walk. It was so painful for him that he couldn't walk. And so we were stuck not teaching. And so I'm like, well, we're here to teach. Why don't we just like bless it to get better and then we can go out and about our day. And we tried it and nothing happened. Like his foot didn't, you know, magically heal. And it was like... I was distraught. Like I was, my faith was, was shaken because it didn't work. Like all of these other experiences leading up to this. And I'm like, why, why is this not working when all of the other ones did? And um, that was, you know, there were some other experiences too that happened, but that was like one of the big ones where I'm like, okay, I, maybe it doesn't work all the time. Maybe it's not associated. Cause at the time on my mission that, you know, I was the most obedient that I ever was in my entire time as a member of the church. So it should have worked. I mean, there wasn't anything that I was doing wrong and it still didn't work. And that really bothered me. That is so interesting. So you didn't do soul searching and say, what am I doing wrong? Because you knew you were doing everything correct. And yeah. yet the result was not what you expected because mm -hmm. it's very cause and effect. I mean, if you take it in that black and white way, I'm obedient, I'm righteous. I need this for the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no reason that it should happen. Yeah. Did you ever think, oh, this is a test? I know that's another loophole too. Then you're like, ah, I have the faith not to be healed or to be able to heal. Because I mean, well, there's always something, another gymnastic that you can do to go through it, right? Or did you ask your companion, are you doing something wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're not righteous enough to be healed. That's the yeah. answer. No, that's how I internalized it. Because So afterwards, I, if thinking about it, I'm like, okay, I since I know that I have the faith to do the like these big miracles, it must have been that my companion didn't have the faith. Oh Not that it couldn't have happened, but I, I put all of that responsibility on him in my mind. So sorry, Nico, yep. <sighs> you're probably not listening. You don't speak English, but you know, I apologize for uh, putting that burden on you back then. Right. But it's the only logical answer because yeah. cause effect, you're righteous enough. The work needs to go for That's the only logical answer. There's no such thing as randomness. Sorry, in a church of certainty. You know what I mean? Nothing. And so to me, being on the other side of Mormonism, the idea of randomness and Landon and I have talked about this a lot. Randomness to me is very comforting because mm -hmm. I don't have to dig deep to find out why that happened. It just happened. And now I'll deal with it. You know, there's no meaning. There's no cause. I can make of it what it is. I can certainly learn lessons from it. You yeah. know, I can take positive influence from it. And but it, certainly it just don't happens. have to feel bad or guilty because it <laughs> yes. happened to you. Yeah, yes. yeah. that's yeah. it. So no, I love no certainty and I love randomness. And, yeah. and some people, even in post-Mormons will say, I don't understand that. And I'm like, nope, it's very comforting to me. Mm -hmm. You know, even when it comes to a situation like very dramatically, like a death or something like that, I I just feel it's more comforting to realize this is kind of randomly happening. And and I always thought I felt that way. And then I had a situation I've talked about before where my older son, when he was very young, 10 in the hospital, pneumonia, it was it was mm -hmm. life or death. He was not getting better primary children's 
And everybody around me was, you know, praying and asking for miracles and blessings. And I thought, okay, pedal to the metal. What do I think about this situation? And I went, I think it's just randomly happened to my son. He mm. just got pneumonia and it's not getting better. And the antibiotics aren't working. I'm not thinking about a higher power to contact. I'm really sending good vibes to the doctors, you know, that they'll mm -hmm. be able to figure it out. But, but that was a moment of realization for me that I really do believe in randomness found it comforting and was able to take action from there as I could, you know? Mm. So for me, that was interesting. Other people would, would think that was not a great way to look at it, but for me, it worked. So yeah, I don't I, know, randomness. I, <laughs> I feel like coming from where I was with this perfectionist mentality, when I landed, when, when I was confronted with nihilism after deconstructing the church, this sort of randomness and, and purposeless universe that we live in, it was comforting for me as well. If there's no meaning in all of this chaos, then I can define the meaning in my own life. And taking ownership of that was really healing for me. Yeah, that's a beautiful concept. And I think our viewers should know that this is the kind of topic that he'll talk about on his podcast in just such a <laughs> wonderful, healing way. No, I'm not kidding. Yeah. You are very affirming in your podcast to people. And, you know, you give these answers in such a great way that I think you walk away with a different kind of mindset, which is, like I said, very healing, very positive. So, okay, so you're on your mission, you leave your mission. Yeah. Now you're obviously going to school, getting mm -hmm. married, you're doing all the things because you're a faithful Mormon. I could, I bet I could guess your life from here. To <laughs> I bet <laughs> you could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all the things, marriage, you know, school. Um, I went to BYU, Idaho. That's where I met my wife and we were married there. We, um, we graduated at the same time. We both slowed down our, our studies where we, we were taking like 14, 16 credits a semester, but we decided to bump it down to 12 so we could graduate at the same time. Uh, cause we were on different uh, semester tracks. So that was kind of cool. I got to walk with her. Um, we, during that time, maybe the, the last nail in the coffin for miracles for me was when we had a miscarriage. Um, and this, uh, this was a really painful moment, both for her because she went through a lot of pain through this miscarriage, but also um, for my faith. Now, I didn't rock her faith as much as it did mine. I came into this, again, having 100% faith in the power of miracles, the power of healing. And um, when I'm maybe I'll get a little graphic here. So, you know, content warning, if you will, when she started spotting while she was pregnant. Um, and that's blood um, coming down. Um, we, I gave her a blessing and I felt prompted to bless her that the little one would be healed and that everything would be fine. And, you know, that it would, everything would work out as it was supposed to. Um, there, there's no purpose. Like, if there is a purpose in everything in this life, like what purpose would there be in an in infant's death? That, that, that doesn't, doesn't make sense. Or I gotta, I gotta close my door. Hold on a second. Sorry. There's a lot <laughs> of noise fine. outside, and so many. Oh no, I get it. We have dogs and all kinds of things. I don't even think we need to edit this out because this is the kind of show we have, isn't it, Landon? <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Life goes on. That's yeah. at the beginning when we were podcasting. I tried to be really perfect, but now I'm like, our viewers have got to know. We've got pets. We've got children. We've got neighbors. It's just happening. So that's yeah. Right. So. We go through the whole process. Um, you know, the miscarriage happens, and that I remember like vividly um, putting this clump of matter, this little tiny unformed fetus, into the garbage can because the, the miscarriage happened in our parking lot as we were walking back to our house that night. Um, and you know, I set it down on top of a Ben and Jerry's ice cream container, and. It just it stuck with me. I, I wrote an essay about it at the time, um, all the emotions that were going through my head. Um, but from that moment on, and I was probably 24, maybe 25, um, I, I stopped believing in the power of the priesthood to heal and miracles altogether. That stopped being a part of the way I practiced the LDS faith. I still believed, but that aspect of it, I no longer... I no longer kept with me. That that must have been difficult at, based on all the positive experiences you had on a mission where you, you know, were able to 
make things that maybe didn't seem, you know, stop the rain or whatever. So you yeah. from here to there, but you couldn't, couldn't heal your own, your own wife and, and child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was devastating to me. So did that sort of, you say you're still believing at this point, but did that put a certain lens on you that you started to view other things based on now, you know, cause that's a big one to say, I don't yeah. think the priesthood is what they've told me. I mean, I wonder <laughs> now what, what lens you're seeing things through. Yeah. I, I tend to overthink things and to rethink things for any listeners out there. They might get an idea of that. I I'll sit down with an idea and think about it from a lot of different perspectives, you know, read as much as I can about it to try and understand it. And, and um, I still held faith in basically every of the core doctrines. I just didn't believe that that was something that was real or observable in our world. And um, yeah, it, other things happened down the road. There was a time where one of my sons, one of my sons, I only have one son, my son was sick and uh, he, uh, I wasn't there at the time and the missionaries were there with my in-laws and they gave him a blessing and he, you know, was healed. And my wife calls me about it and we're talking about it. And I'm like, you also gave him medicine though. And like, <laughs> The medicine did what it was supposed to do. And so, and that was still as a believer. I just, um, I really just abandoned this whole concept. That's so interesting. Did you take it to a scriptural level? If you're really thinking that there is no priesthood, did you go there at all going, well, then wait a minute. What? I, I didn't allow myself to mentally go there fully. Right. Um for some of the more ancient things I did, I, uh, I love history. It's one of, one of the things that I'm just really passionate about. And a lot of the things in the old Testament, I allowed myself to look at more critically, but new Testament book of Mormon doctrine and covenants, those were kind of on a different pedestal in my mind. And, um, I didn't allow myself to, um, think critically about them. There, there's a reason there aren't a lot of historians uh, higher up in the church. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> they that's why they call lawyers, lawyers instead of historians. Because uh, I think yeah. almost anyone who has a love of history, it seems like, ends up going there. You know, to where yeah. uh, this you know just doesn't pass some of the critical tests when you start studying the history of things. So. Definitely. But you were you were called as a gospel doctrine teacher, right? Yeah, I held a number of different callings. I gospel doctrine was one of them. I was, you know, stake young men's and all all the different presidencies. You know, I served in in a lot of different callings. But as a gospel doctrine teacher, that forced me to reconcile some of these problems that I had just been putting aside um, for almost a decade. So I was called into gospel doctrine, and um, I taught three years. And the, um, the last year that I taught was, um, the old Testament. And by the time that year was done, my faith was completely gone. I, I still maintained faith, um, when I was teaching the Doctrine and Covenants and the Book of Mormon, but when I, I took the opportunity to dive really deep into, um, history to understand better the context of the scriptures and that completely eroded my my faith in the Old Testament, but not in the rest of it. And there's a funny story. I so I'm I'm a pretty big nerd. For any of the, the viewers are watching, I've got you know all sorts of like tabletop board um, rule books there. Call of Cthulhu. I've got Pathfinder and all sorts of things. So I play D and D at least every other week, and I've played with a group of friends for a number of years. And one of my closest friends, his name is Paul, also at the time was a deconstructing member of the LDS church. We would play Dungeons and Dragons and then all of our friends would leave. And then he and I would talk about some of the problems that we were having or some of our, we talk about our faith. We talk about our depression. Um, he's a very, very dear friend of mine. Um, but in those conversations, I, I brought up the fact that I no longer believed in the old Testament. And I was just, you know, talking about some of the grandiose things that happened in, in Genesis specifically. And I'm like, none of those things are historical. And, you know, I'm talking about all these different books that I'd read. And um, he looks at me like really funny. He's like, you know, that they talk about the tower of Babel and the flood and all of those things in the book of Mormon. Right. 
And it was like one moment to the next. Like he asked, he made that comment right before he made that comment. I was a 100% full in believer. He says that one comment to me and the next second, everything shattered and I didn't believe in anything anymore. And it like, because those, those um, stories were treated as historical, it just, the entire validity of the Book of Mormon shattered and then everything else came crumbling down with it. The Old Testament took me out too. That was, uh, it, it's the foundation. It's you, you, you can't, you can't have yep. anything else without the Old Testament. And when you study that and it falls, but it's amazing to me how the church now is, is going, uh, we're actually putting together another podcast right now, uh, on, uh, DNA and, and the Book okay. of Mormon. And, as we're reading the essay, you know, the church says, well, the Book of Mormon is spiritual, not historical. And you're yeah. going, how can it, how can <laughs> any of these miracles or these spiritual things be true? If it's not, if it's not historical, then mm -hmm. none of this stuff happened. It's not really even spiritual at that point, because these are yeah. just made up stories at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's huge. Um, I, for me, it just all came crashing down. They, if you look at it with like a metaphorical or a mythological lens, I think that maybe you could still have value in it, but it has serious implications on some of the core practices within the faith. If the Book of Mormon is a myth story, not a historical story, what does that mean about our practice of baptisms for the dead or the practice of polygamy or the practice of name the practice? If it's not historical, if it's not 100% true account, what does that mean about the daily practices of the LDS church? That doesn't mean that they all have to be thrown out, but I think it should force a listener or force someone who's critically thinking about this to reassess, you know, maybe there are some unhealthy practices that we have within the church. If it is a myth story, maybe we can just get rid of the bad stuff and keep all of the good. <laughs> I muted. My dog was snoring. I didn't want anyone to think it was me, right? So That's all right. <laughs> what's that sound she's making? Um, I was going to say that is a wonderful way to look at it. And, and I think some people you know, they can go their whole lives without realizing the connection between the foundational stories and like dominoes. You just take it. To, in yeah. fact, I wonder if one of you would just very quickly explain, maybe some of our viewers don't know the connection with the Tower of Babel and the Book of Mormon itself. I mean, like you said, it dropped right there, but for others, it's just, you don't go there. So it's a pretty clear connection to me. Yeah. Maybe just go into it for one second, just so our viewers understand what we're talking about. So the Tower of Babel is, the story is set up as a story to describe how different languages come into the world. It's also like an anti-Babylonian propaganda. The tower is described, um, there's, uh, during, it's like the 8th or the 7th century, there's a temple in Babylon that's kind of being perpetually rebuilt. And um, that's kind of what the story is making fun of a little bit. And so it's got some imagery and it's referring to that. Um, so it's kind of digging at the Babylonians um, anyway, but it's not something that actually happened like historically um, thousands of years prior to that. So understanding where it came from in its context um, made me realize that it just was not a historical event, but the book of ether in the book of Mormon uses the story of the Tower of Babel as a jumping off point to tell the story of the brother of Jared and their family coming to the Americas. And so it's it treats this mythological story as a historical event within the Book of Ether in the Book of Mormon. And once you realize that that first didn't happen, then everything else is suspect from there. So, yeah. but you're right. I mean, mythology is important, but when it informs all those daily practices that maybe you're uncomfortable with or don't work for you and you continue doing them because mm -hmm. you believe basically that God has told you <laughs> to do these practices, there's no way yeah. you can ever think for yourself about it. So now knowing it's like, I could, I've always, I always make this joke to Landon. I compare it to Harry Potter, which I love the whole series. I literally probably could live my life 
with the principals and the tenants of Harry Potter. I also play D and I'm a fan. Oh, very cool. Like that. Yeah, no, I, in fact, when I read that in your bio, I'm like, Oh good. You know, some geeky people. <laughs> it's the way it is, but you know, and to me, there are a lot of great principles and practices in, you know, the wizarding world, you know, yeah. that I could use in the same way that people use the book of Mormon. But of course I can never tell myself that that's that Harry Potter is real. It's not real. So I may pick and choose scenarios. I may get emotional when I read it. I may feel elevated emotion, which I do when I read the series over. Yeah. So I'm really, really, I'm revealing my geek geekdom to everybody here, <laughs> but it's the same thing. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to force myself to yeah. do the things that are in those books because I don't, you know, it's not from God. It's not historical. Mm. And if you realize that about the scriptures, you know, where does that leave you? It's a very interesting proposition. I was going to say, I, I thought it was ironic that it happened during while he's playing Dungeons and Dragons, because if you take away the historical part of it, <laughs> it really is nothing but is a Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, Dragons. Uh, tell of, you know, yep. this is what happened. And it's it's yep. no more real than the Dungeons and Dragon game you just played. <laughs> Yep. I, you yep, know, I'd go so far as, as to say that some of the Dungeons and Dragons games I've played have been way more compelling than the Book of Mormon. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. No, we recently came across a video from a stake. They're not Trek, but they're putting together something called Quest, where everybody dresses up in Book of Mormon clothing. Okay. And they have somebody dressed up like Jesus wandering among them. Hmm. They do all the events from the Book of Mormon. They have a battle <laughs> where they're throwing wow. chalk at each other. They have, you know, firesides. It's like this big three-day event. And I, you know, we watched it. We were sort of laughing. And then I stopped laughing because I realized this is, this is harmful cosplay. You know, these kids mm. are out here. They were very emotional, especially with the Jesus figure walking among them and hugging all of them. Mm -hmm. They're dressed up like Nephites and Lamanites, people that never existed. And they're being completely manipulated. It was actually very, it made me very, mm. very sad to see that. It just, it, it was a big cosplay. And to yeah. inform your entire life on that, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very sad to me. I don't know. So, so where in all this was your wife? I don't know if you're comfortable talking about that. You mentioned mixed faith. Yeah. That's why I brought it so, up. So we're in a mixed faith marriage, but, um, her story is hers to tell. So yes. I don't want to go too much into, hmm. um, her lived experience within the faith, Right. but all, what I will say is that we examined a lot of these things and, um, spoke for hours together and, we landed in different places. So where my faith was completely eroded, um, hers was changed. I don't think you can come to the table honestly and come out the other side with the same infantile faith um, in the LDS church. So um, it's different than it was when she was younger, but she, she still does believe um, in a number of the truth claims. So, and then you have younger children. So that's an issue <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. I mean, that, that must be interesting yeah. to navigate. Yes, that is interesting to navigate. Um, I, I will say this. My wife is one of the most mature and compassionate people that I've ever met. Um, she and I, we are raising our kids without any expectation on them following her or following me or finding whatever other path that they might find in this life. And we're teaching them the things that we individually believe in, but allowing them for the space to um, internalize them and make the decisions for themselves. Um, that isn't to say that it's not painful for either her or myself, but we're partners. And even though we're coming from different perspectives, the pain that we feel is really similar. And so we can comfort each other um, in these moments where the one person might be offended by this or that that happened um, with the children not believing or disagreeing, you know, with this or that, um, with both me and her. So it's not that there's just been hard things for her or just hard things for me. It's, it's been hard for both of us, but it's, um, deconstructing the LDS faith was very, um, healing for our marriage. It forced us to learn how to communicate with each other. Um, it forced, I mean, you know, end of sentence there, it forced us to relearn how to communicate with each other and focus on, the love that we share and the love that we have for the other person as an individual. I know I'm an outlier. This is probably not going to be the case for all of the listeners. You know, this, um, a mixed faith marriage is hard to navigate. Um, but I, I just need to say that without my 
my dear wife, it wouldn't be possible. She is so much more mature and intelligent than I am. I, I just love her to pieces. So usually when you're in a mixed faith marriage, the thing that you don't do is go start a podcast to talk <laughs> about deconstruction. <laughs> but you did that. Yeah. How did that go over? <laughs> uh -huh. um, you know, I, <laughs> this is a story. Um, for years, I would listen to podcasts or I'd buy a book on this or that, you know, grab D. Michael Quinn or Fawn Brody and, and just devour something. And then for months and months, I would just come to my wife and talk to her. Hey, you know, did you know about this? Or have you, you know, what do you think about that? And it came to the point where she was, we had kind of landed where we were going to land and she was done talking about it. It was, was uninteresting to her. She was more focused on, on her faith in God and her faith in Jesus and her devotions there than she was in nitpicking the history of this or that, or the, you know, historicity of such, you know, XYZ moment in the scriptures. And, and for me, that stuff was still really fascinating, even as a non-believer, but for her, she was over it and done. And she just wanted to get back to her regular life. She knew that I needed an outlet and, um, <laughs> when I told her I was going to start the podcast, I don't think she was fully aware of what the theme of the podcast was going to be because she listened to the first episode or two and she's like, I don't think this is what we talked about. And I'm like, oh, this is what I thought we talked about. <laughs> Did she think it was going to be a D&D &D podcast? That would have been <laughs> well, totally fine, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that maybe I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, I do have a D&D &D podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with this friend his name is paul um who deconstructed is that 12 sided the guys is that is that yes the, yeah okay. so oh, yeah the we looked at that guys. we're like what was that oh my gosh this, <laughs> i thought it was what, a Landon? burger place <laughs> nope. we're, we're having an interview two for one we've got two podcasts for one yeah. in this particular episode this is awesome <laughs> so um about like the beginning of or right before the pandemic actually this was like 2020 um my buddy and his twin. So he's a twin. Um, my buddy and his twin and a couple of our friends, we all lived in different places and we were playing D and D virtually, you know, through zoom, this sort of a thing. And we just decided one day, like, why aren't we recording this and publishing it? Because we're having so much fun. We're making all these jokes and we're having a blast. And even if the only listeners are like a handful of our friends that listen, like it would still be a lot of fun to do. It'd be a great hobby. So we started it out like that. And we all bought, you know, nice microphones and a full setup and we started recording and we've been doing that for about two and a half years. We finished our first full campaign. It was a two and a half year campaign. And so uh, uh, a listener that might be familiar with D&D, &D, like that's that's a pretty long campaign and Very long. it's a long time to play like consistently with the same group of people. So we have the same group that we started with two and a half years ago as we do finishing it. And uh, we have a blast. We're still going. So we finished the first story and we're right now starting our next one um so go listen to it 12 sided guys it's a blast uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing but i had all this podcasting gear i'm doing this other podcast with my friends and i'm discussing with my wife like hey i've got so much more that i want to think about you know i'm reading xyz i've already got all the podcasting gear like why don't i just sit down 20 30 minutes you know, every couple of, you know, once or twice a week and just like talk about my thoughts and maybe someone will be interested in that. And uh, so I recorded three episodes. My first three episodes, I um, I recorded them, edited them, got them all ready. And then I didn't, I didn't publish anything yet. I decided to reach out to Bill Real and I was like, hey, Bill, um, I just like shot him a message like, hey, you don't know me from Adam. I'm just some random guy. I respect what you're doing love to pick your brain for a minute. If you have a sec, I'd love to ask you some questions about uh, doing a podcast in this niche, like in the Mormon, post-Mormon realm. He gave me a phone call. Bill is a, a fantastic human being. He gave me a lot of his time. We talked it through. And by the end of it, he's like, hey, why don't you send me what you've got? I'm looking to bring on some podcasters. And I was like, that was not my intention of like reaching out to you. <laughs> But if you're interested, you know, I, I think I would love to work for you. And so I sent him the first couple and he was like, hey, I think you're onto something here. You're hitting a, a, a demographic that kind of gets skipped over with what I was trying to do. And um, 
the rest is history. So I've been doing Ramiumptum ruminations for two years now. So I started in June of 2021, actually. So um, the when I said the demographic that I'm shooting for, I typically try and approach any subject as if my wife were like sitting right next to me listening, where I know that some of the things that I'm saying will probably like bother her or make her really frustrated. But I try and phrase it in a way where I'm making it as approachable as possible for a believer um, or a, you know, a newly doubting member or someone who maybe is, you know, a cafeteria Mormon, which Everyone is a cafeteria Mormon, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the I, I try and I try and record and talk about my subjects as if she were in the room with me, and if I'm bouncing off ideas to her, sometimes I'll bring stuff up to her. Not super often; she still doesn't like to talk about religion with me. But uh, I'll see what she thinks and, and kind of use that as like a, a sounding board for where I approach a subject from the perspective of a believer. But yeah, that's. Does she listen? Does your wife listen to your podcast? She has listened <clears throat> and she listens on occasion, but it usually doesn't go well. <laughs> it's it's hard for her because I'm talking about things that are very important to her and to her faith. Sure. And while I'm not while I'm not trying to be um, facetious or joke about any of the things that I'm talking about, it is painful for her to, you know, see the things that I'm talking about sometimes. And so I, um, yeah, so she, she kind of, she's proud of me. She's really proud of, of the effort that I put in and how I've built it and, and, you know, develop this tone and, and an audience, but it's, um, it's not something that she listens to. The uh, how did you choose the name Ramington Ruminations? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, a great name. I have to I have to give credit to my friend Paul. So I'm I told him I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a podcast, and I had a couple of names in mind, and we're kind of we're just joking around and talking, and he was like, I was making you know the comment kind of like the joke that I said in the bio that you guys read. I'm like that I'm just some random guy I'm just talking, you know whatever thoughts are in my head and I'm nobody important. And so nobody really has to listen to me. And he's like, he's like, why don't you just say it's like ruminations from your Remy umptum instead of like from your ass. And I'm like, <laughs> that's pretty good. And so and good. I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I, it's a little too tongue in cheek for the tone that I'm trying to set. And so then I just shortened it to Remy umptum ruminations. Yeah. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah. A little alliteration <laughs> a little for you. <laughs> yeah. No, that is great. So, and you have, do you have guests on sometimes? Do you talk I do to have other guests people? on. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. Why don't you, why don't you tell us just some of the, just to give people a flavor, mm -hmm. um, some of the topics or some of the guests. Um... I, so I'll talk about whatever I'm thinking about. Uh, something happens in the news. I'm not usually the first to report on it. So don't like, don't come to Remy Umptum Ruminations, you know, for your news about the LDS church. Come to me to, after you've read that, to maybe think about some of the stuff. Like with uh, with all the SEC allegations against the church, I was not the first to talk about it, but I did talk about it for three or four weeks. And um, the per the perspectives that I was going at at that subject were you know, when has a prophet ever lied or is it okay for a prophet to lie according to the scriptures? You know, what's the precedent for it? And and what does that, what implications does that maybe have on the LDS church? And so I kind of come at it from, from um, I try to come at every subject from a unique angle to encourage the listener to think critically about the subject. I don't, I don't try to tell them to think the way I do. I try to encourage people to push back or send a comment of like, Hey, you know, I disagreed with what you said here, here. Um, so don't come to me for, for current events, but I do talk about current event things. I do have guests on occasionally, um, not super often. Um, I've brought on a, a former uh, adjunct faculty to BYU who was um, basically fired from BYU because she was teaching, you know, teaching in church things that weren't perfectly in line with um, the correlated material and her bishop kind of had a vendetta against her, didn't recommend her. And so she stopped, she lost her employment at the school. I brought on a guy who worked for, um, worked at church headquarters, um, 
basically in market research for the church. He conducted surveys for the church um, to gather information to help influence the decisions that the church makes as a whole, or to see what the new um, new initiatives, how that they how they were being received by different people around the world. Um, so usually when I bring on a guest, I try I'm tr- I'm not trying to compete with Mormon stories, and so my guests when I bring them on, I like them to have um, an interesting subject that after the interview I can kind of dissect and do a couple of episodes on. You know, this person said that. You know, let's think or talk about that subject for a little bit. Um, so I've I've had on a number of guests. I brought Patrick Mason on, um, and that was a fantastic chat. Um, we talked about um, like coming to the table with like a nuanced belief and how a nuanced believer can can interact with the members in their congregation safely uh, without maybe outing themselves as you know not a standard uh, Mormon. Um, yeah, so those are some of the episodes I've done. I try to incorporate the literature that I'm reading or some of the philosophy that I'm thinking about in most of the episodes that I do, um, just because that's the way that I perceive the world. And so I'm just kind of, whatever I'm thinking about in the weeks preceding the episode, that's what I'm going to talk about. It's a rumination. You're yep. absolutely correct. So no, and I love it that you live in both spaces, you know, in a mixed faith. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you probably have a lot of friends, a ward. Oh, a yeah. So you're in these spaces and you're able to podcast about this, which is so invaluable because many mm-hmm. of us live in both spaces, some better than others. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it can be really rough. And so to listen to you, it kind of maybe even gives you some tools to be able mm-hmm. to interact and be more comfortable in both spaces. Yeah. So I can see why bill instantly said oh this is something no it's something that's what i love about his whole umbrella is that he has something for everyone you know Mm -hmm. and and people in this situation where you're in the different spaces it's really important to know how to navigate it and not need your know how to talk about because there are ways that you can talk across a difference divide Mm -hmm. and i love the concept that you think my wife's sitting here right next to me so (laughs) let me talk about that yeah (laughs) i don't know how i'd podcast if i was thinking my husband was sitting right next to me (laughs) he's very nuanced and pretty much out but yeah it's always a dicey but no i love Mm -hmm. that would you say that even i mean from your description and some of the ones that i've listened to i feel like even maybe a nuanced or progressive member would probably like you said patrick definitely would benefit from listening to you too because it's maybe a safer space to understand what they consider the other point of view right the other But when you listen to it, a lot of times you realize that's not so far off from what I think. I know a lot of faithful members that were very disturbed by Mm -hmm. the SEC. You know, that was something that they were trying to wrap their head around. So we're not that far apart, I don't feel. And I think your your podcast definitely shows that. Yeah, I and I don't want to say that other the tone of other podcasts is wrong or harmful. I think that there's space for humor. There's space for anger and frustration. There's space to, you know, dance on TikTok with your garments on, you know, there's, there's space for all of the things. Right. Um, but a newly doubting person or even, you know, an active believing member, they, they might want to discuss those things. They might feel like they, they um, can't discuss them though in yeah. the context of their chapel or with their loved ones without repercussion. You know, they, they probably couldn't bring these things up without someone assuming that they're not all the way in. So I'm the space I'm trying to create is intentional to be welcoming to both the believer and the non-believer alike. That's an important one to have because that, in fact, that's how, that's how I met Rebecca was uh, I, for three years, I had nowhere to go and I was in a mixed faith <laughs> marriage and I had, I'm like, I can't say anything in my own home. How do I, mm. how do I express what I'm thinking or how do I find people who agree with me? And uh, so, yeah, it, when you finally find someone who you can have that conversation with, with where you can share your full thoughts and what you're really yeah. going through without being judged, that's, that's mm-hmm. an important find. And, and when a podcast can do that, that's an important, important role. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And in our case, of course, we found each other online and started a book club called the okay. Good Book Club to help people read as they deconstructed. Yeah. Sort of with the philosophy that now we know what we don't believe. Let's try to figure out mm -hmm. what we do by reading, you know. And so that was very cathartic and helpful. You know, yeah. and we had people, we to this day, we have nuanced people in the book club. It's still going three years later. We're kind very of stunned. Cool. You know, it's just amazing that that, you know, and we read a lot of the books you just mentioned. I was gonna point, they're all back here, yeah. you know. Um all all kinds of books, even not even directly related to Mormonism, mm -hmm. but through the lens of Mormonism, because yeah. it's such a, a universal way to connect and to read. And, mm -hmm. and we have a sitting high councilman in our book club who led oh, one of our cool. discussions from his car between meetings. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, he chose to lead the Luna Lindsay's recovering agency, which yeah. after that, I don't know if you're familiar with that. He was like, mm -hmm. hmm, I'm looking at things in a different way. But yeah. again, that's okay, you know, and that space is needed, whether to come and mm -hmm. read with somebody or to find a podcast where somebody is voicing some of your, what can be seen as when you have those thoughts, I think you're scared and you're thinking, yeah. why am I thinking this? What does this mean? What will this mean? Here's somebody who's discussing things, you know, in a safe, calm way mm -hmm. that you can maybe help process and either deconstruct, maybe reconstruct. You don't know. I mean, you're, I would guess that your mission statement, well, why don't you tell us what you think the mission statement of your podcast is? It's probably not, <laughs> I'm dragging people out, you know, it's not that. So yeah. I, you know, I've never sat down and thought of like an actual mission statement for what I'm doing. Cause it's, it's just as much for me as it is for the listeners to, yes. to put my thoughts in order and make them presentable because that helps me think and process information. But if I were to say a mission statement, it would just be to um, create content that um, is approachable for both a believer and a non-believer um, in a way where they can take the their own autonomy or ownership of the information and make informed decisions for their own life. And not that I should influence it in one way or another, one way or another but that everyone should have this information and be able to think critically about it. And what they do with that information is their choice, but it should be there for everyone and approachable for everyone. Well, now you have a mission statement. We'll just roll back tape, transcribe <laughs> it, you and go. you've got it right there. You can make a plaque or a flag and hang yeah. it in your front yard or whatever you want to do. Oh, that's funny. So what um, what going forward, what do you see? What do you have planned? Do you have any guest plan? Or is it just, do you, I mean, I guess maybe that's a question. What's your process? Do you just wake up in the morning and think, hmm, the Wall Street Journal just put out a big uh, article again about finance. Maybe I'll ruminate on that in a couple of days. Is that kind mm -hmm. of, your, it sounds like you're pretty agile, which is great. Yeah. I, so I do have guests and I've usually got one or two people that we're working on an outline with and we're, you know, talking or trying to schedule with. Um, but those, like, I, I probably only do like eight to 10 interviews a year. So that's not the, majority of my content and I put out between 45 to 50 episodes a year. So they, I usually only take off, you know, six weeks of the year without actually publishing content. Um, usually, and you know, maybe this is behind the scenes. It's usually when I'm having like a really bad mental health week, I'll just put everything down and I need to reset and yeah. however long that takes, then I jump back on board. So for the listeners, if I haven't pushed and published something in the week, it's because I'm having a really <laughs> bad week. Oh, so it means send um, brownies. Everybody send brownies <laughs> to Scott or something or think good thoughts to the universe if you don't see him publishing. Yeah. So <laughs> because oh, you know, I even after that. all thing um, all of the stuff and the healing and the growing, like, I still do have depression and it's still something yeah. that's part of my life. Um it's healthier and more manageable, but um it's still here. Um yeah, so my process is I do a fair amount of driving. I really enjoy driving and uh I'll listen to podcasts or I'll listen to audiobooks, and I'm always looking for something to talk about. Um, my interests are very are really varied, um, and so I might be listening to a theology podcast or podcast or audiobook and thinking about, hey, you know, what can I incorporate from this that I'm learning into the into Ramium Deruminations or what that I'm listening to now would be helpful for the listener. Um, as an example, I. One of the podcasts I listen to and, you know, make a plug for the listeners is called History This Week. And they did an episode a couple of weeks ago about Mary Shelley. And it had been well over a decade since I'd read Frankenstein. And I'm like, you know what? I should pick up Frankenstein again because it was a fantastic book. I loved it so much. And I've been rereading it. And while I'm reading Frankenstein, I'm like in my head, I'm like, this 
Frankenstein's lived experience is the lived experience of the LGBTQ plus members of the church. And I'm listening to the, not Frankenstein, the monster, the monster's yeah. lived experience is the experience of the LGBTQ plus members of the LDS church. So whenever the monster's talking, I'm just like all of these emotions that he's feeling and his frustrations with Frankenstein are everything that I have heard expressed from, from those members of the church. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, this is a huge connection. So now I'm, so I'm giving you behind the scenes. So I just reread that and I'm like, okay, I need to do an episode or two talking about that connection there. And I, I dive way too deep into things. I bought a biography of Mary Shelley. I'd learned a little bit about her in college, but I, I didn't like dive too deep. So I watched a documentary on her with my wife because she loves this stuff too. So we sit down, we watch the documentary and, um, then I bought a biography of Mary Shelley. So I've been learning about her life and just, and I'm, I'm going to say almost nothing that I'm learning, but it, so that sort of thing is just for me, but, uh, the, that's kind of the process. Like I'll, I'll dive into something really deep and then I'll make a 20, 20 minute episode about it, or I'll make, you know, two or three episodes discussing what I was thinking about while reading the, those stories. So sometimes I won't ever reference what I was reading, uh, but this one I will, but, uh, anyway, so that's, that's kind of my process. As far as outlines go, I'll just write like a quote, like, hey, this is what the monster said. And I think it's really important. And then talk about that. And then that's like the extent of my outline. Oh, well, now I can't wait for that episode or series of episodes. That's an incredible comparison. Yeah, I haven't read Frankenstein since. Have you ever read Frankenstein, Landon? I haven't read it since high school, I don't no. think. But I'm... yeah, the whole completely oh. disenfranchised and the frustration and the, yeah, and seeing it through new eyes, the yeah. lens that you're looking at it through now. That's wow. What a comparison. So that's Mary very Shelley, provocative. Mary Shelley was acquainted with grief. She um she and her husband she ran away with her husband and he was already married. And then his ex-wife um threw herself into the Thames. Uh Mary had um like her first child died a couple days after after um I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl. Anyway, her first child died like pretty recently after it was born. And uh so death and all of these things were kind of like ruminating in her mind and then she writes this book and it is so full of grief like it is anytime the monster speaks it is like the most like gut-wrenching lived experience and it is just like she's putting all of her depression and all of her like anguish onto the mind of the monster and it is just absolutely beautiful it's so if you're referring to this as like the movie or some of like the modern interpretations of frankenstein and the monster like that is not the story at right. all the story is frankenstein creates this monster brings it to life and is disgusted with it sees how horrifying it is and immediately runs away and then the monster this baby is like what's going on with this world they immediately abandoned from the moment of his birth and um it, oh, it's it's such a great read. I love books. I love movies. Yeah. I, I, I could talk about that stuff all day long. <laughs> well, you're in the right place. We could too. Yeah. <laughs> the Mormonish media moment. Maybe there we, we go. start that too. There's so much to talk about. So, wow. Well, do you have any final thoughts or questions, Landon? This has just been a wonderful, wonderful interview. I just love it. No, it's been great talking to Scott and get to know yeah. him better. And yeah, he's got he's got a great podcast. He's got a great voice for podcasting. <laughs> I know. It, it's very soothing yeah. as you listen to his. Uh, I feel that way. His episodes. I feel very pleasant. I know. I appreciate no. that. Yeah, no, and that's that's why we're telling everybody, please, and we'll link everything in the show notes to both of the podcasts that we talked about today, because yeah. now we know there's a D&D &D one yep. for all of us geeky <laughs> people out there. Yep, and in fact, this is I'm so I'm a funny. lot less so, serious in that one. A lot so less in, serious. In Reviants and Ruminations, I don't make jokes too often, but in 12 Set of Guys, that's, you'll get a better the picture of what my personality Scott will is. come out. So, no, <laughs> yeah. I have to laugh because I really talk about D&D, &D, and uh, so I have a character that I've had for a while that's kind of a play. Okay. My middle name is Wilhelmina. My actual okay. real Wilhelmina okay. name is Wilhelmina. So my character is an elf uh, warrior goddess princess named Willabella, okay. right? So okay. I was talking to the backyard professor about this, who's also geeked out of his mind. And he's like, <laughs> I'm totally going to paint because he's also a fabulous artist. He's like, I'm going to paint your character. Mm. And I'm like, what? And so he's literally putting the finishing touches on it right now. My elf, Willabella, and he's going to make this incredible painting for me. I can't even believe it. Yeah, so I also... 
I also Just paint miniatures. That's one of my, oh my hobbies. <laughs> so I, I do that Look same sort that. of thing. Oh my gosh. But, yeah, we have now gone to another realm. Mormonist viewers who are not in this world. This is how it is. Like but, yeah, Star it's Trek really wasn't fun. bad enough. Well, <laughs> yes, I also now, have, now it's Dungeons and Dragons. Too. That's right. I actually run a Facebook and Instagram um, asset called Trexmo, which is Star oh, Trek memes for post-Mormons, where we look at Mormonism <laughs> through the lens of Star Trek pictures. It's actually yeah. really, really cathartic. It's almost That's my cool. favorite thing to do. You know, like today I made one of Bones and a lovely lady standing there and the caption was, oh, we hope all of you, we invite all of you to come stand outside of our temple wedding. Yeah. It'll mean so much to, you know, there's just a way to kind of process yeah. Through these other mediums, you know, that really help mm -hmm. you and, 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 you know, humor, hopefully not too snarky, but it's cathartic, <laughs> I find. So it's great. There's this a space for it. There's a space for everything. There's a space for it. Let's just say that. And we've talked about a lot of spaces today. So, yeah. well, wonderful. We would like to thank Scott for coming on yeah. and we encourage everybody to check out every, every single thing we've talked about. Read Frankenstein, <laughs> go to Rami after ruminations, go to his other podcasts. We're going like, to link all this in the show notes so that you can uh, go back and dive into what we've talked about. So we'd also love it if you can like and subscribe to Mormonish. And, and if you would like to be notified when the new episodes come out, you can hit the notification bell. And we finally did figure out how to people have asked us how can we donate or support you guys we finally figured it out we have some links to paypal <laughs> and to venmo awesome. i know we're boomer technology here so if That's anybody okay. wants to support the channel you know go ahead and do that we we love and appreciate you guys and also please check out all of scott's wonderful work mm -hmm. um, we're all out there just trying to make spaces as scott said to for people that where they feel comfortable wherever mm -hmm. that may be to make their lives more positive so thanks again from mormonish and from scott and we'll see you next time thank you everybody thanks bye -bye. for having me on guys thanks bye-bye thanks for joining us for another episode of mormonish we really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share you can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.